Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. All right, folks, welcome back to a new edition of John Solomon Reports. So glad you can join me today. Very proud to spend this time with you every day, having a conversation with important thought leaders and fact gatherers and people on the front lines of American history, American policy, American security. We've got a great show for you today. Get ready. We've got some amazing guests. First up, the former congressman from the great state of Georgia, Doug Collins. He's a man I worked with a lot when I was trying to unravel the Russia collusion story. A sage voice. He saw what the FBI was doing, what the Democratic tricksters were doing, and was one of the key people helping to roll back the false narrative that was Russia collusion. He's going to tell us we have a lot to talk about with him, right? Because we've got the election integrity debate going on in Georgia. The uh, harvesting investigation efforts to further reform the laws or change the laws in Georgia. We had the speech by the president down there that seemed to backfire on him. Lots and lots of uh, extraordinary issues, not only in Georgia, but across the country. Doug Collins is going to dive in. One of the things I want to talk to him about is prison reform. He has always argued that Republicans ought to be on the leading edge of it so that we don't end up with the sort of policies that will showed up in Milwaukee or San Francisco, Chicago, where you have criminals who are violent, who pose a threat, getting released on minimal bail and then going back out and repeating those same violent offenses, just like the man who committed that heinous crime in Waukesha, running down all of those holiday parade goers in one of the great cities in Wisconsin. I'm going to talk to Doug about that. He has a lot to say on that. Then we're going to take a little bit of trip. We're going to move out of the hard policy world and into the culture world. One of the top researchers at the Heritage Foundation at the DeVos Center for Religion and Civil Society, Jay Richards. He's the William E. Simon Senior Research Fellow at that Heritage DeVos Center for Religion and Civil Society. Jay Richards is here. He's written a dozen books, really 
a big thinker. We're going to talk about transgenderism, religious freedom, free speech, cancel culture in America. He's done a lot of thinking on it. I think it's going to be a really fun conversation. If you haven't read this book, his book from 2012, Indivisible, a very, very powerful piece of literature, really great reading. Jay Richards, one of the great voices and researchers and thought leaders at Heritage Foundation joining us. But first up, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. And when we come back, Doug Collins, the former congressman from Georgia, here to talk about all that's going on from election integrity to violent crime inflation. We're going to cover it all. What a great conversation. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down, my blood sugar is down, my weight's down, my health is up, my sleeping patterns are better, my metabolism is up. If you wanna experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Really glad to have this next guest on our show. He was a voice of sanity in the sea of insanity of Congress for a long time. Former Congressman Doug Collins. Congressman, great to have you on the show. Well, it's an honor to be here. It's good to, hear, good to talk to you again. It is. It is indeed. I'm excited. You had a really powerful op-ed uh, in the last uh, 48 hours or so. It was on the Daily Signal, and it was a really a clarion call to conservatives, which is you can't just sit there and shoot on this cash bail reform issue. You've got to lead the way. Tell us what, what has you concerned and what you think the opportunity is for uh, conservatives in America on this issue. 
Well, I think the, the concern that I have, the biggest issues that I have on this is, is what we just, sort of what you just hit on, is that conservatives, uh, we've talked about criminal justice reform. I mean, I was fortunate to be with President Trump. I wrote, we wrote the first uh, step act. That's right. Which, uh, he led on, that was our bill. And I was very proud of it. I was very proud of the fact that, that the president understood the real need for true criminal justice reform. Right. And that means that you, because from a conservative perspective, it's, it, to me, I always classified it as a money and moral issue. From a conservative, I could get you on the, the money side, fine. If you want to, if we're dumping so much money into wasteful spending in our corrections system, then right. let's talk about that and how we do it better. But it's also a moral concern. Conservatives are the ones who believe in people. And so when you look at cash bail, you look at what these liberals are doing in, in New York, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Portland, all these places. They're thinking criminal justice reform is keeping people out of jail or, right. or moving it to – and that's just not true. True criminal justice reform says the punishment fits the crime right. and that the society is safe. And I think that's the interesting thing. We, we rely on this bail so much. But then at the same point, in Wisconsin – I mean, I talked about this in the op-ed – you know, the gentleman should have never been in the car. Why? Because the DA didn't follow the, the protocol. That's and that's right. the things we got to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The rules that are in place even aren't even, even followed yeah. anymore by these uh, DAs. There is a movement. Senator Jake Corman, state senator from Pennsylvania, is proposing that they impeach the Philadelphia district attorney where, you know, the crime is rampant and bad guys are getting let out all the time. Is there an opportunity while you get the the policies, right? Fix these policies so that the people who shouldn't be in jail shouldn't be and those who should remain there to also send a signal to these prosecutors that you're not going to allow our cities to become Wild West crime scenes. What do you think of the move in, in Pennsylvania to begin pr- impeachment against that district attorney? Well, I, I think it, it definitely sends a shot across the bow to these uh, prosecutors. It, 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 John, just in a, in a simple way, you know, I'm just a simple boy from North Georgia, you know, who's having to do <laughs> some, some decent things. But, you know, for me, it's a prosecutor prosecutes crime. Right. Now, they're supposed to do so fairly. They're supposed to be the white hats. Many times they're not. We know right. that. Right. But that's where they're supposed to be. And yet to not prosecute, I think sending a across, shot across the battle say, no, we elected you not to be the social services chairman. We right. elected you to uphold the law. And so, yeah, I think it's a good thing. But it brings back another thought, though, and that is, is for listeners out there, start, <laughs> and I know you see this, how many times do you get frustrated when people only care about a presidential election or they only care about a senator election, they yep. only care about a governor's election, and we're looking at school boards, county commissions, district attorneys, most of them are elected, and people just don't pay attention. Yeah. And the I left has really, the only one who's paid attention are the activists left, and they hijacked okay. a lot of these elections. Yep. Well, it goes back to, you know, if you, it's sort of an interesting, you know, all things old or new again. You remember the yeah, exactly. book? Yeah, John Gresham wrote an article, I wrote a book, I think it was the court of the, of the, I can't remember, I wish I could, I apologize for not remembering the name, but it just hit me, in which they worked in Mississippi, I think it was Mississippi, that in one of his storylines was that they worked to change the Supreme Court. Right. And because of the tort reform issue. Well, I'm going to give you a real life example of that. You know how they changed the congressional maps two years, three, four years ago now in Pennsylvania? Because they started with the Supreme Court election in yep. Pennsylvania. The left went after the Supreme Court. They won it. They laid in place the things that needed to happen to make that happen, to yeah. make those redistricting. And they've made inroads on the Wisconsin Supreme Court as well. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, such a good point. You can't just vote once every four years. You got to be in the game twenty four seven because the left now is. I mean, they're really dialed in. They, you may revile their um, their messages or their policies, but they really have a system to attack every election and get every vote out that they can they can turn out. And um, 
It's a wake-up call. On that front, there's all this happy talk right now. And I always learn that talking about election 12 months before it happened, probably not good to be making prognostications because a lot of things happen in a short period of time. Are Republicans too confident about 2022? Should they be doing more to sharpen their message uh, to make sure that they're connecting with everyday voters and not just assume that history is going to waltz them into the election in 2022? I believe so. In fact, I spent a, a podcast the other day on, on one of mine doing it in radio interviews. Because they ask me about this all the time because I still, I'm still involved in elections. I still look at it. And, and I'm seeing things from Republicans that concern me. It concerns me when I see national conservatives who are more concerned um, with what are we going to do? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people on the news, and not in a systematic way of saying, "Here's what we're going to do." Right. You know, we, we know we're like not the contract have America, which would be assist, assist. Yeah. yeah. But they don't do it, and, right. and and what they also have got to recognize is the fact. And here's what I'm concerned about, John. Ten years, twelve years ago now, in 2010, Tea Party movement swept in. We're going to do all these things. It didn't happen. And they said we're going to get rid of Obamacare. We're going to get all yeah. this. I came into the Congress right after that, and you know we had a lot of conversation about. It. The problem was, is we wasn't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in my terms, honest with the voter yeah. and say, look, we're going to do what we can to curtail, do it. But as long as President Obama's sitting in that White House, we're not going to be able to, to really take it out. So you've got to work with us to get rid of him, and we've got to do what we can to get rid of it. That's the concern I have with conservatives right now, because a lot of them are talking about, well, we're going to roll by this, and we're going to, okay, be careful. Yeah. You don't want to run yourself into a position in which voters lose confidence in. Yeah, you're going to be held to that, right? You got it. You got it. Yeah, and the history of Republicans doing what they said they were going to do isn't so good in the last 10 years. Go back to 94, they hit it, right? They, they checkmarked that a contract yep. with America. But in recent years with, with Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, they didn't get a lot of that done. No, they didn't. And we didn't even, I think part of the problem is, and I've said this about Democrats, and I love the way you said it a minute ago, you may not like their policy, but there are focus in what they do. They sure look, are. look, Nancy Pelosi doesn't like me, and that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with not being on the Christmas card list. Right. But <laughs> the one thing I will say is, she is willing to do something that I'm encouraging all Republicans. If, if I talk to them or I'm interviewed, if they look, she's willing to give up, and many in her caucus are willing to give up position and power for a yep. policy. She's willing to lose, just like she did in 2010, the speakership. She came back eight years later. Look what she's doing now. Transportation package there. I mean, Manchin will write a Build Back Better bill on his own image, and they'll pass something probably this year. They will. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that works. And she knows she's going to lose or retire. Right. But she's willing to do that because she knows if we get it into policy, it'll take years to get right. out if ever. Yeah, it we may, it may never get out. I mean, that's why the budget is so bloated. We never get rid of anything. We've got to have that same conviction on our side. We've got, I mean, and, and we got to have whoever, you know, takes leadership, you know, speaker or whatever. I mean, we take it majority leader. Say, look, we're ready to push conservative ideas as far as we can get them and under the circumstances we are. And if the American people may vote some of us out, so be it. But we believe that they are right and they are good for this country. And we're willing to sacrifice that because we know in the end they will see what happens. Yeah. Such a great point, that conviction of sticking to your values and uh, and sticking to the promises you made voters. It's a lost art for many, many politicians today. Um, as you step back now and you look at the moment that America finds itself in, 
brink of war possibly in Ukraine. God forbid that doesn't happen. But a lot of people very worried about Putin pulling his people out of the country. Uh, it looks like, you know, he's saber rattling in a way that may result in action. You've got inflation taking a bite out of our wallets like a new form of taxation. You've got people dropping out in the job market in record numbers. Uh, you've got, you know, the uh, divisiveness in here, rising crime that we just talked about. As the voters go to the polls in 2022, what's the question that they want Republicans? What, what should, questions should they be asking to make sure that Republicans get elected? I think they need to go back to similar to what we just saw in some of the elections, you know, about five months ago. Get back to doing what conservatives should do best, but we don't. And that is talk about the true kitchen table issues, a mom, a dad, a family, whatever, you know, that in your community. Going back to them and remembering that they do not get up every day and worry about what's going on in Washington. Right. They get up every day worried about their family. They get up every day worried about their job. How much gas, price for gas? What is the, you know, inflation? When we emphasize, like, when we go back and instead of running or being ashamed of the tax cuts from 2017, we ought to go back and say, look, the reason you were able to take that vacation, the reason your company expanded, the reason you got a raise, the reason our country, your 401k was doing well, is because we put into play conservative principles at work and show it to say, look, it's not about the profit to the bottom line. It's about Jim and Susie did better in their family. They were able to have a job. They were for, for those who were who didn't have a job are now able to have jobs and, and to help their family. If we can focus on those kind of messages and tag it to this, a firm stance in the world. Can you yep. believe John, you and I thought this, the Ukrainian sham impeachment, yeah. the Democrats, Trump actually gave the Ukraine, President Trump actually gave Ukraine stuff to shoot and kill Russia. That's right. Something the Joe Democrats Biden would has- never give all through the 2008 no. to 2016 period. And, and now you have Joe Biden's press secretary standing in the White House press room saying, well, yep, they're getting ready to invade. Yep. We should be horrified by that. And yep. I think that's the thing. All of the other stuff you mentioned are important. But I think last year when people in independence, others saw the embarrassment on the world stage of Afghanistan. Yep. That I sent a message, that didn't nail. it? That's the nail. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So there's no doubt about it. That embold- It emboldened every enemy, and it, it probably weakened the resolve of most of our allies because they could no longer count on the United States to exit a war properly. It, it's such an amazing moment. Uh, would you, if you were in Congress right now, would, would you be advocating for sanctions? I'm re- a lot of people I've talked to are shocked that no one has asked for that Biden hasn't come to Congress to say we got to sanction Putin now for what he's doing. Yeah. Oh, well, my question is, is where is the mainstream media stories about uh, Biden being Putin's puppet? Yeah. You know, yeah. Again, we got a lot of those from 2017 to 2020 about Trump, didn't we? And they turned out to be wrong every time. And so, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, I think it is. It, it is shocking. It is shocking to me that, frankly, um, yes, uh, Ted Cruz got his vote, quote, on the Nordstrom pipeline. But right. Schumer knew how he was going to play it from day one. That's right. And so. It's really, we've got to understand something that, that when you've got an administration that is, we've got to keep it out there. The drumbeat will sound, and if, and if Putin goes into uh, to Ukraine, like it looks like he's going to do, uh, with Joe Biden basically addling his way through you know, the day, I think people are going to really begin to sit back. And I, and I think it's going to start coming from our already has, it's from our allies. Can you imagine right now being in Poland? No. I couldn't. I mean, I, I, the, you talk about Slovenia, you know, the old Czechoslovakia yep. area. Yep. That Can you imagine being in there? Slovakia nope. right now? I, I couldn't imagine. I was there three years ago. They were scared to death of Russia then. Yep. Yeah. They, they would have to be te- petrified right now. 
It is stunning. And all these countries that embrace democracy after the fall of the wall, and some of them built beautiful economies, uh, Estonia, one of the great technology economies in Eastern Europe, and all of them are put in peril by the sort of weakness that we've shown on the world stage for the last 12 months. I I don't know what they do to uh, prepare for the future. What is the, if, if you had five minutes with President Biden and have an honest conversation, what would you recommend he do on the world stage right now? Stand up. I think the biggest thing is, and it may not be capable anymore, but I think I would like to see Joe Biden, as much as I disagree with his politics, go back to being the Joe Biden of you know, 10, 15 years ago right. when he when said, I want to get something done. Right. And yet, on the, and on the world stage, have a powerful voice. So, so, Mr. President, you have the microphone. You control the narrative. Your own party for years has been talking about that Donald Trump was too weak on Russia, and yet you're going, frankly, the opposite way. Trump was strong on Russia, you're being weak. That's the part that I don't think his advisors are telling him. They're focused on COVID. They're focused on everything else. But American people can tolerate a lot of internal domestics. What they cannot tolerate, and if you want to make the analogy, and so many times they do, back to Jimmy Carter. Oh, Iran, the right? Country, yeah. The country, inflation, high mortgage rates, everything else. We were surviving. Jimmy Carter almost won 1980. Everybody forgets that until the last couple of weeks. And the last couple of weeks, Ronald Reagan was able to remind them of the debacle in Iran, our men getting killed in that rescue mission, and us not having a front on the world stage. I believe that resonates with Americans, that when they are embarrassed on the world stage, yep. then nothing else a, matters. I'm going to say, hey, go do it, Mr. President. You've got the ability. You wanted the job. Now do it. Yeah, absolutely. If you're sitting next to... Uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy, what's your advice for making sure that the Republican caucus does the right things over the next 12 months to win the election? I think he needs to focus on blocking. And, you know, the good part about it is he's got a minority in which he doesn't, you know, all he has to do is, is block, bring out, highlight. Uh, I don't think he can give in. I'm, I'm concerned that, that in some areas the Democrats are, are controlling the narrative. I think we got to do a better job controlling the, the narrative on, on what actually is happening in the country. But then I'd also tell him this, get the group together. I know he's working on different working talking points and groups for, for bills, but I think he's also got to work on the caucus itself. For yep. those who struggle with this, who I've been there during these times, sure. he's got to remind them that when they take office next January, there'll be a Democrat sitting in the White House. There may be, I hope not, but it may be a Democrat Senate. At that point, they have to plan for that narrative. And then it becomes, a, a, you, you, you have to say, we have to be united because divided. If we start yelling at each other, then we lose our opportunity for 2024. Really sage words. A lot of people, I think, are just coasting into this election. And the American people are going to be a little more picky. They're going to be a little tougher to convince than just having platitudes and, and promises. It's going to be very yep. important to, to watch that. Congressman, it is always an honor to talk to you. I've always appreciated your work in Congress and all the work you did on Russia collusion and other places. Um, we want to stay in touch with all you're doing. You've announced you're not running in 2022. As you look out, what, what does the future hold for you? You have a lot of gas in your tank. Where, where could you go next? And then there's no telling. I mean, for me, I think the options are a lot open. And there's a, a couple of electoral options that I'm keeping open. Georgia, um, don't sleep on Georgia. Georgia is not normal right now. And so I think well, I'm going to be looking at that long term. There's a couple of possibilities here in the in the future. But for me, it's it's taking what I did in Congress in forums like this and other places and saying we as conservatives have to learn to fight, but fight smart. And and we've got to take and know that if we have the best ideas, the best ideas, 
we've got to communicate it and quit boring the country. We do that. If I can help be a part of that, that's what I want to do. Yeah, that seems like important work. We, we need those voices in this country. America's craving common sense at this moment of great peril. And uh, it sounds like we're going to get a lot of that in 2022. Congressman, great to talk to you. Can't wait to get you back on the show. John, it's always good to talk to you. Take care. I look forward you to coming well, back. Sir. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be back with more of the show in just a few minutes. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.US slash Just News. That's AMAC.US forward slash Just News. Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title and your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. A very special guest, somebody I've been looking forward to have on the show for a long time. Joining me right now is the William E. Simon Senior Research Fellow at Heritage's DeVos Center for Religion and Civil Society. His name is J.W. Richards. He is one of the great writers of our time. Jay, great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much, John. Good to be with you. You have an amazing uh, uh, pedigree. You, you've written a dozen books. I, I wrote two and I, I got yeah. so exhausted I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, but a dozen <laughs> books and really digging into the intersection of public policy and culture and faith in ways that I think are, are very, uh, really been provocative. They provoke people to stop and think about where are we in this moment. And we were talking off air. I don't think... Uh, 10 years ago, I could imagine that this, our country would be in this moment that we're in 2022, 
so many issues that have shocked the conscience in the debate. So I want to start with one that you've written about a lot. And, mm-hmm. and that is the, the effort to move transgender rights forward, if, if that's the proper way to describe it. Right. We have these cultural moments that define a debate. And it feels like in the last couple of weeks, the story of the University of Pennsylvania swimmer, mm-hmm. a biological male allowed to compete as a female, now setting records, beating all of the biological females in their competitions. Right. It stopped everybody a second. Say, well, wait a second. This all sounded good until I'm not sure that's what I wanted with Leah Thomas. Tell us about that moment. Absolutely. It is a moment. I think it's sort of like the critical race theory debate a year ago. I mean, those of us that followed this stuff, this wokeism in our institutions, we've known about this for years, but it wasn't until COVID and parents noticed on Zoom that their kids were getting, frankly, just racist lessons in which white kids are, you know, set off in a corner, separated from black kids. that They realized, wait a second, this is not Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream. This is some kind of weird racism. And it exploded. I think 2022 could be the year in which gender theory and gender ideology explodes. And again, it's just this kind of random event. We've had some males competing against females, but you said the Leah Thomas case at the University of Pennsylvania, it just is kind of broken through the cant. I think part of it is that he looks so obviously like a man. You see this guy next to the other women and he's got the 17 and a half inch neck and the shoulders. And he was competing as a male and succeeding just a couple of years ago. And so you don't really need to get inside his head to know that this is just unfair and directly contradicts the most the most fundamental common sense that anyone has. Every civilization and every time and place is known human beings are sexed. We're a dimorphic species. Right. This is basic biology, males and females. That's why we have sex-segregated sports. We don't do it because of people's gender identity, whatever that even is. We right. do it because of these fundamental biological differences. And if you're going to have fairness in sports, you actually need to have males and females separated so the females can com- compete against each other. And so it just finally kind of breaks out. I honestly think the sports thing, if you think about the effects of gender ideology across our culture, the college sports is the least significant culturally and civilizationally. What I think is most significant is that we can have 12 and 13 year old girls who are put on puberty blockers and on cross sex hormones that can sterilize them permanently. That's what we need to be talking about. That's, that's civilizational, but the sports thing is that it's, you know, that's where it's broken into the culture. And I think it'll at least allow us to begin to have a conversation about what is really gender ideology working its way through all of our institutions. Yeah, you're right. It's probably of a a much less significant consequence long-term for history, but it was just the moment that said, all right, we're all busy. Oh, wait a second. I got to stop and pay attention to this for a second. And it just had that moment. And this isn't about hating on people. It isn't about mocking people that uh, argue for transgender identity or want to identify. It is a question of fundamental fairness, which is, do you want someone who has a physical characteristics that give them an advantage in sports being allowed to take advantage of that and, and, and you know, basically wipe out the competition. It isn't, it isn't like occasionally uh, Leah Thomas is winning. He's winning all the time. She's, she's winning all the time. Big, big yeah. moment in, in that debate. Where do you think this unfolds over the next month? The NCA yesterday, or in the last yep. few days, I should say, began to modify its rules saying, well, maybe we didn't quite get this right. Is that a blink moment? 
It was, it's, I thought it was going to be, but the problem is when you look at the details, people that are following this know that the NCAA essentially has had a, a testosterone level criteria. Right. So basically they said, okay, if That's you right. are a male that is transitioning, I'm just going to use the language that they use. You can't really, and males can't become females, but if you want to compete with females, you'd have to keep your testosterone suppressed to a certain level for a year in advance. And right. now the NCAA has said, instead of having a sort of cross-sport standard, we're going to have a testosterone standards that will be specific to the individual sports and their governing bodies. The <laughs> idea, I guess, is that the swimmers uh, could do something different than track and field. Right. Here's the problem, though, is that they're still focusing just on testosterone levels in real time, which right. is, of course, maybe somewhat relevant, but it doesn't deal with any of the effects of testosterone and male biology through puberty. So if you're 19 years old, you've gotten through puberty. Yep. Well, just if we just focus on testosterone, well, the testosterone is going to determine your bone density, you know, the type of blood, muscle how much mass, oxygen right? your blood can carry, muscle mass, bone structure, all sorts of things. And right. so you can suppress testosterone when you're 19. It's not changing any of those structural effects that you already have. And yeah. so this looks to me like they're still somehow trying to uh, avoid taking a stand and trying to please everyone. And the question's not should transgender athletes uh, get to compete? That's never been the question. If somebody had, whatever your gender identity is, it doesn't really matter for purposes of sports. The question is, what's your biology? Are you male or female? And if you're male, you just shouldn't be competing in female uh, athletics. Yeah, uh, that's it. That's the question that everyone is wrestling with right now. Um, as an overall when a movement like this, because this is a political movement at the end of the day, yeah. the key to a political movement, if you want to make advances, is getting buy-in, getting acceptance in. There have mm -hmm. been a lot of movements in the last 10 years that succeeded at that gay marriage, which used to be taboo, now right. widely accepted across the country. Where is this transgender movement in terms of its acceptance within culture, within politics, uh, within science? Well, it, that, that's a complicated question. So it's a hardcore debate, I would say, at the moment of science. What's funny is that even people like you could think of the kind of atheist, Darwinist, uh, religion hostile Richard Dawkins, the evolutionary biologist who would not agree with conservatives on very much anything, he's come down in favor of biology. So in other words, <laughs> in favor of a, uh, of a sexual binary, right. he's gotten in lots of trouble, um, you know, and so the, at the moment it's sort of in flux. So I think the, the, the science is absolutely clear on this. It's just that science at a sociological level is having to deal with this because it's, it's across culture, politically, at least Heritage Foundation last year uh, did a survey, and the majority of Americans across the political spectrum uh, are against the most radical manifestations of what we'll just call gender ideology. So they don't think that boys should be able to go into girls' bathrooms in schools. They don't like this idea of males competing against females. They're concerned about the kind of transitions that happen in schools, often behind the backs of parents. But it's also, I would honestly say, the American public at the moment, uh, it, the opinions are not yet fully formed. And I think that's what the Democrats are counting on. And right. that's why I wrote a daily signal about this messaging document uh, that, that just was actually leaked here at the end of or the beginning of the year, which is essentially, uh, you know, a left-wing organization, the Transgender Law Center and a couple of left-wing communications groups 
wrote this messaging document and said, basically, here's how the Democrats need to talk about the gender issue. They said, we need to talk about it in terms of a race, class, gender narrative. So in other words, just as appeals to racial equality have succeeded and right. done re- very well, you connect to the civil rights movement, That's right. appeals to class can help. So you got to frame gender in those terms. And the reason is one, because it's rhetorically useful, but two, because the Democrats realize they need ethnic minorities as part of their constituency and their coalition, and they need working class Americans. You know, the majority of Americans don't have a college degree. What about them? And so I think they realize, okay, their best hope is to uh, frame the debate in terms that are appealing to these constituencies. The thing that gets left unsaid is that these constituencies are likely not on board with gender ideology. And that's the thing they don't want to talk about. But it, I suspect they have internal polling that tells them that working class Americans and Hispanic Americans and African Americans, they're not quite as gung ho uh, on gender ideology as, say, the average upper middle class white you know, graduate of Sarah Lawrence College might be. Yeah, very interesting dynamic. Not unlike what we saw in the voting election integrity issue where uh, there was an effort to say voter ID is uh, segregationist, it's uh, voter disenfranchising, and yet 80% of African-Americans actually supported it. Such a disconnect that the message just never resonated in the community. Um, It seems like some of the transgender messaging hasn't yet hit the the population that the strategy was designed to try to sway, right? Is that what you're seeing in the- That's right, that's exactly it. I mean, and and they say in this report, I mean, it's really amusing, but uh, they say that for Democrats to expand their support, they must quote, tell a convincing story of how our opposition uses strategic racism and transphobia to harm us all. So they want to frame people like me that are opposed to this ideology as if we're transphobic and racist. Um, But the reality is I don't, I honestly don't think this can sell. I actually think this is an opportunity for conservatives and Republicans that if they can figure out how to talk about this issue, I think we're actually likely to grow that constituency. I think on these really radical cultural and social issues, that the average person is kind of intuitively conservative. They don't want they don't want people to be mistreated because you know somebody has gender sure. dysphoria, but they don't want boys going in girls' bathrooms. Right. It's just the kind of most basic common sense. It's so common sense that the idea that this could be part of a political debate ten years ago seems absurd. And yet now it's I mean the Democratic Party has hitched its wagon to this transgender star. And I would think a lot of the reasonable ones are thinking, okay, this might be a bad idea politically, but the base is all in on this gender ideology. And so honestly, I think Republicans need to look at this and say, "Hmm, this is an opportunity for us to actually broaden our constituency. But at the moment, frankly, most GOP politicians, except maybe for sports, are afraid to talk about it. Yeah. It is. It's just uncomfortable. I mean, that's the truth. And also, we're busy, right? We're the, if we can find a yeah. reason to be busy about something else, we're probably going to go there. But the moment <laughs> has arrived for this debate. It's going to be interesting to see the politics and society where where it all falls down. I want to uh, go to a second issue that you've been very um, instrumental in writing and illuminating. Mm-hmm. And it's the challenge that we now are facing with vaccine mandates. And is there really going to be going forward a religious test, a a religious exemption for people who have a legitimate faith based reason to object a medical procedure for themselves or their family? The military seems to have really run roughshod over Mm. this 
unlike past yep. history, where there's always been a little bit of deference yeah. to a faith. Tell us how this has evolved and what the long-term consequences of if this trend were to continue. Well, the trend at the moment in the military is really concerning because uh, even though at least officially there's supposed to be religious and medical exemptions uh, for vaccines and in general and for the COVID vaccine in particular, if you look at what's actually happened, there have been thousands of uh, exemption requests. So service members that have requested religious exemptions, not one to, the, to date has been granted, not a single one. And in fact, uh, the evidence seems to suggest that uh, the many, uh, the sort of the officer class, they sort of have pre-existing rejection letters yeah. set to go. So they're not even responding we to reported. the actual yeah. rejection. Yeah. And so I think there's been a couple of Marines that have gotten the religious exemption for the first time, but that's it. That, and that's just happened because yeah. I think, of, frankly, yeah. the, the really bad publicity. And this is a serious problem because, I mean, first of all, um, the courts have said over and over again, yes, we ask the military to do things that civilians don't do. Nevertheless, joining the military, you don't you don't check your rights to religion and your First Amendment rights at the door when you join the military. And that's the implication. The second thing is that it's likely that it's going to be a, mostly a certain type of person that would have a religious objection to the vaccines. And so the long term effects of refusing religious exemptions is going to be to ideologically purge the military of people, frankly, that have the kind of moral fortitude to be able to stand on this thing. And that's really, uh, apart from the individual question of religious freedom for military members, this idea that we'd come up with a test that essentially purges people of a particular religious conviction, that's something that should trouble everyone. It seems as though America is going is in a pause moment. The the values of free speech, of of uh, free expression, of faith, of equality are being changed before us. Whether it's the debates in school over critical race theory and trying to change the narrative of America, uh, and actually perhaps taking us back to an era where skin color becomes the first predetermined of social uh, engagement. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think the country, you see the Virginia election and the Yunkin success yeah. there. Do you think that this has solidified and opinion is beginning to solidify around, hey, we're never going to hate people. We're, we're against mm-hmm. racism. We're against discrimination. But we're also not going to take this leap into this cultural moray. Does it seem like we're in that pause moment where some of these issues are resolving themselves just by you know majority rule? I think we're, we are right in the middle of that, John. I mean, there was, the reality is that in the 90s, we, we all just were kind of a little bit asleep at the wheel, whereas now these, really these cultural civilizational questions, uh, they're, they're in the forefront right now. I mean, there's these absolutely uh, crucial questions about the nature of human beings, right? Yeah. I mean, usually that's not at stake in political debates, but these aren't debates about marginal income tax rates. They're, they're debates about human nature. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it's actually a debate, but uh, in some ways, I think the lockdowns plus the vaccine mandates uh, ha- have uh, really kind of radicalized people so that they're really looking at this. But, you know, I'm, I'm generally an optimistic person, but I do think that the next couple of years are going to be absolutely decisive. I, I think we're in the middle of a civilizational debate that's going to uh, determine a lot of things going forward here in the next year or two. Yeah, I think a lot of the people I talk to, no matter what side of the issue you are on this, I think a lot of people view this that we're in that moment where a 10, 20, yep. 50 set year of mores are going to be defined by, by these debates we're having right now. It's fascinating to understand and appreciate what an important time in our history we're at. Um, given that, 
Uh, last question I want to ask you: What mm-hmm. are the what are the signs? What are the trends? What are the key players, the courts, for instance, that we should be watching yeah. as these debates, whether it's religious freedom, transgenderism, what uh, 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 critical race theory? What are the trend lines and players we should be watching closely in the next year? Well, the courts are going to be absolutely crucial. I mean, I don't like to say that, but as we saw with the OSHA mandate, the Supreme Court is going to make some decisive decisions. Sure. And they, that, they Positive signs with the OSHA mandate, not so helpful in their decision to essentially allow the, the Medicaid mandate to stand. Uh, obviously, the Dobbs case on abortion that's going to, we'll find out in June, one of the most probably most consequential decision by the court, certainly since Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And then on the other end, at the local level, I think school boards and parents are going to be the the key players, as they've already been on critical race theory. I think also going to be parents when it comes to these gender things in both the level of school boards. And I would expect before too long that we're going to have some some class action lawsuits of parents whose children have gotten sucked into uh, sort of gender dysphoric subcultures and then encouraged by schools and doctors and therapists. So at the very top, I think we need to look at the courts and at the very bottom, we need to be looking at the level of school boards and parents. Yeah, it's where I think a lot of these issues are going to get resolved out and perhaps the way our founding fathers intended, right? Right at the local level in in the communities. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. Well, uh, Jay, this is a fascinating debate. We're going to be covering it. We're blessed to have a great writer here, Greg Piper, that covers these issues fairly and and neutrally. Uh, And uh, we have uh, a lot more history to be written in the next year. I'm pretty sure we're going to need you back on this podcast to help us walk (laughs) through it. Anytime. Thanks, John. It's a great honor, sir. Thanks for having us, coming out and joining us today. You bet. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day in just a few seconds. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. So glad you can join me today. A big thanks to Doug Collins. A big thanks to Jay Richards. Two provocative and informative conversations, which is what we're trying to do here every day. We give you facts. We give you information. We give you perspectives from people on the front lines of policy, security, culture. And then you go back, make up your own mind. Have those conversations at the water cooler, at the dinner table, in the office, at the fence line with your neighbor. That's what we hope to do. We don't 
I hope to indoctrinate you, just inform you, and then you make up your own mind. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow with another great edition. We've got some great guests tomorrow. You're going to be excited. Don't miss it. We'll be back. Until then, may God bless you, and may God bless this extraordinary country of the United States. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite. You and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.